Welcome to the Support Recovery Podcast, where we speak with parents, counselors, ministers, and other professionals to provide you with the most effective ways to support your loved one who's struggling with addiction or any other life-controlling issue. So welcome to another episode of the Support Recovery Podcast. Uh, My name is Michael. Uh, We've been uh, doing this now for a while, and I've got uh, Skylar here who's going to be hosting with me today. And um, again, we have been uh, blessed with having uh, Adam Holderied and Steve uh, Borchert uh, with us. And today, we're going to be talking about the church's role uh, in recovery. Uh, So I'm going to kind of facilitate the conversation, and I think Skylar's going to join in on answering some of these questions, and um, I think we're going to have a good time today. So welcome, everybody. Sometimes I wish uh, the listening audience can hear all the conversations we have before we record these. It's, it's pretty energetic. But uh, anyway, um, so we're going to start kind of right off the bat. We're going to peel the Band-Aid right off and just ask uh, a pretty loaded question. So does the Bible even address addiction? Well, I'll start to say I think it does in a few different ways. The way that I primarily see the Bible addressing addiction is in the area of idolatry. Sorry, Steve. No, go for it. That's awesome. Um, So idolatry is a matter of going to, in the Old Testament, obviously going to a foreign god or going to a created thing to worship it. But I think in the bigger picture, it has more to do with going to a created thing in order to find satisfaction, in order to find peace, in order to make peace uh, with, with life itself. So the idea here is that that's what people today do with drugs, alcohol, whatever it may be, pornography. In order to cope with life, uh, they don't go to the living God uh, and and submit to Him and find rest in His presence, but rather they go to a created thing or what we might call an idol. So that's that's the framework I see it in primarily. Yeah, and, and I to think piggyback off that point, Skyler is um, the acts of devotion and sacrifice that we make to those idols. Uh, you know, all the running around we do to jump through hoops, to, you know, run our schemes, to collect um, whatever finances we may need to score that hit, to get high for the day, to, to, to satisfy the need, and, and all the, uh, again, just worship of it, uh, for putting that stuff on our T-shirts, wearing it on our hats, just all the propaganda that goes uh, along with it. We're spending time, money, devotion to it and making sacrifices to it. Uh, I know, I remember in college uh, watching my roommates who, um, I, I'd say at that point we're probably further along in their addictions than I were. Um, I'm just sitting there, sitting there watching them go through all the plans, all the phone calls. All, all you know, hey, if we run into this person, then we make this happen. This happen. You know, they spent eight hours a day working to get high. It's like, why don't you guys just go work and make some money and then get high? But you know, they didn't see it that way. So, yeah. Um, so I'm gonna bring a little bit of my. Dr. Gill influence into this conversation. So props to Dr. Gill. If you happen to listen to this podcast, thank you for your year-long inundation in Greek because it's going to come in handy right now if you guys are ready. So um, actually the Greek word pharmakeia in Galatians 5.19 is where we get our derivative of the word pharmacy today. Um, It's a fairly general one, but it addresses witchcraft, uh, magic, the use of spells and potions, typically what you would see in like pagan temple worship in Hellenistic culture, and I'm sure there's probably a corollary in the Old Testament with the Hebrew uh, word as well, but pharmakeia, so that's just, I thought that was kind of interesting as we were, you know, talking through uh, the podcast ahead of time, just, uh, you see some of these little trace things in Scripture, and it's really cool. Um, 
And yeah, I totally agree with you guys. I think when we look at scripture too, and I'm just going to throw a couple examples out here, we see examples of addicted individuals, right? So you have uh, references to people like King Saul. So Saul became addicted to the power of his role, um, and he pushed himself even to attempted murder uh, with David. And then we see how that probably impacted David to a degree, because later in David's lifetime, um, he was crippled by his own addictions to power, control, and lust. Uh, The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19, when Jesus is addressing the rich young ruler, we see a young man who is addicted to power. Um, And even look at the the story of Paul and his conversion. Like, if that's not a tale on addiction, I don't know what is. You You have Paul, you know, as a converted man, but we forget who he was. You know, Saul, and he was your your class A Pharisee. You know, he was a Torah-reading Jew, and he oppressed and persecuted Christians. And so, really, when you see Paul's transformation and his testimony and his letters uh, to the church and his epistles, you see a man who's kind of grown through his addiction. You know, even addressing it to a degree, I think of when he talks about like the thorn in his side and probably dealing with some of that baggage of persecuting the church. Um, And certainly that's a different take on addiction, but I think the scripture is full of individuals you can look at, Old Testament and New Testament, that are people struggling with addiction. You know, you're you're probably not going to open up the Bible and find a parable for someone drinking codeine. Like Jesus isn't going to teach specifically on that type of a thing, right? Or somebody, you know, snorting meth. But we definitely see um, prescriptive and descriptive lessons and teachings and truths in the scripture that help us frame it for, you know, the 21st century. Well, I think it's really good how you frame that too, because I mean, we've shared for months now how collectively addiction doesn't have like a a cookie cutter, you know, it's going to look different for everybody. And the context we have in today is addiction comes in the shape of some kind of a drug, something we're shooting, something we're drinking. Um, But again, as we've talked about the scope of addiction, it is much bigger than just a necessarily a substance we're putting in our body, but you know we define it even in the context of Teen Challenge as something that would be considered life controlling. So, um, so you know uh, there are a lot of recovery programs out there. There's a lot of short term treatment, long term treatment. I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there, but the one constant that seems to be just the standard. And when you think about recovery today, the standard is always going to be 12 step. That seems to be like the foundation of, of a lot of things. And 12 step always points to um, a higher a higher deity than, than you, right? So what role does faith have in recovery collectively? Because obviously something's going on there because so many programs coast to coast have some type of a faith component. In it. And this is not a denominational faith thing. That's not what we're talking about here. So, I mean, what role does Christianity at its core offer to someone who is struggling with addiction? Well, I think let's back up just for a few seconds um, in that there's a holistic approach that needs to be, I believe needs to be taken um, in recovery. So we're talking mind, spirit and body uh you know a lot the 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 mind and the body can kind of just fall in line by simply not introducing um drugs alcohol or whatever the the addiction is to the body it's going to help the mind because you don't have those chemicals flowing through the mind and also through the body um this is where counseling can come in to get healing in in the mind and self-esteem and 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 um so on 
the body you see a lot of people will take up exercise you know you'll there's a lot of exercise regimens or that that will probably be heavily recommended um to get out there and get you know the good hormones flowing again and, and dopamine to be released it makes you feel good when you when you're done working out so then it so then it comes to addressing the spiritual aspect of it and i think what kind of christianity or, or what faith you know my faith offers me that set me apart from anything else out there that I tried or that I encountered um, in my spiritual journey was was hope. Um, I love, and this is one of the founding scriptures here, 2 Corinthians, um, therefore anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone and the new the new has come. Um, in, the, in the Greek, the context of, of the new creation literally means a new species. So a, a, a new creation that was not on this planet before we become, and I'm not, yes, there's still ramifications and consequences to the way I lived my life, um, maybe natural or, or um, legal consequences, but in a spiritual aspect of it, like, I'm free from those things, and um, to me, that's what drew me to Christianity in the first place. It wasn't, uh, you know... If you don't give your life to the Lord, you're gonna you're gonna spend eternity in hell. Um, that didn't resonate with me. What resonated with me and what drew me to Christ and, and to the cross and and to ultimately salvation was hearing people give testimonies of being like free from um, depression, free from suicidal thoughts, free from drug addiction. And I went, hey, wait a second, that's available because that's what I want. So. Tell me more about that. Heaven and hell, I'm not really too concerned about because I don't even know if I believe any of this yet. But what you're saying over there is interesting, so let me know more. And I began to seek, and um, ultimately, uh, longer story than I'm going to tell right now, you know, I, I came to give my life to the Lord. Yeah, that's, no, that's awesome. Um, I, one of the scriptures uh, Steve shared is just really profound. There's also one that really speaks to me, and I think it's really a word on recovery. Like, we can read it and see, man, this is totally about recovering and becoming whole again, First Peter 5.10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So for me, um, it's about becoming whole again. And it's about not so much what does a faith offer me, but what does Jesus Christ say about me? Like, who does he, you know, what does he say I am and who am I to him? Um, and really, in, in Christ's ministry, you see a lot of cool things that happen. Uh, his fulfillment of Scripture and, and who he is is a glimpse into the heart of God. And the latter part of his ministry, he, he focused intently, um, and I've got a couple Scriptures here on people in Mark 6, uh, the Gospel of Mark chapter 6, 34, the common people who listen to him with delight. Um, uh, or I'm sorry, that's Mark 12, 37. But if you look at scriptures like Matthew 10, 6, the lost sheep, the sheep without a shepherd in Mark 6, 34, he's coming for those people that are everyday people. And I think like the Hebrew term, uh, and forgive me, Dr. Cotton, if you're listening to this, but it's Amha Eretz, so it's the people of the land. So, you know, Jesus is in a culture, he's in a climate where you have all these different um, religious sects and groups of people that are all fighting for what it means to be pure and what it means to be righteous and what it means to be a child of God. And Christ is coming into the situation and saying, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for those lost sheep of the house of Israel. I'm coming for the broken person. You don't have to be perfect, but in me you're made whole, and, and there's a fullness of life. So that's, that's, you know, just, man, I just love talking about this concept because it's still something that, you know, I, I, I've been living for the Lord for a while, 
and following him, you know, for years now, but it still resonates with me just like it would have the first day I made a decision to encounter him. Talking about what Christianity offers to someone struggling with addiction, I kind of want to talk about it as far as at its worst and at its best, because there's been a lot of um, there's been a lot of things that have been done in the name of Christianity when addressing someone who has substance abuse disorder or some other life controlling issue uh, that has not been good. It's been done in the name of Christianity. And that means people have thrown Bibles in front of people and said, you just need to do what that thing says. People have, have treated it like, well, if you really wanted to be well, you just would be, you know, that kind of thing. Right. And so as much as we can, we want to distance it from that. But at, at its best, what Christianity does is offers um, a way out of this perpetual looking for something to make me happy. It, it pulls you out of this need to always try to find the next thing, the next high to make you feel okay. Common for, a common saying right now in the field of recovery is the opposite of addiction is connection. And so seen through that lens, Christianity offers the ultimate connection, which isn't just that you said the sinner's prayer, but it's that ultimately the whole goal of your life is union with God. The whole goal of your life is communion um, with the God who... Um, has come in Jesus Christ uh, to suffer with you, even in those hardest moments uh, when you really want your fix. He's enough. Yeah, that's good. I mean, so ultimately, as we're as we're hearing this, and Skylar, to kind of echo what you're saying, when we're dealing with addiction, there's always a hole, right? And Steve, kind of as you talked about, you know, if you want to really deal with recovery and find recovery, we got to deal with the entirety of the person. It's the body, it's the mind, and the spirit. So, um, how does the church interact with with the? Uh, addiction culture today. I mean, if we're talking about body, mind, and spirit, the church is, is a, a massive ally in this process. So Adam, I think maybe we'll start with you. Um, how have you seen the church presently interact with addiction and the, the culture that comes with it? Yeah, um, I think one of the things that's been really encouraging, especially over the last few years, is as we've been working towards various credentialings for the staff team here at uh, Ozarks Teen Challenge, and as we've been um, just praying about what does it mean to be an effective conduit of the gospel? You know, scriptural knowledge, of course, a relationship with the Lord, obvious, but also those things that help you understand what somebody's going through, um, not only in testimony, but in professional qualification. So one of the things that's been really cool um, that we've been able to experience is seeing like local churches come here to the center and engage in our credentialing training with us. Um, because the reality is you don't get to choose disciples. <laughs> you don't get to choose who walks through your door, you know? Right. So yeah, yeah. in the church, um, it's a place for every person. So, you know, if it's a dysfunctional family, if it's an addict, if it's somebody that is just really maybe considering ending their life, when those people walk through your doors, you've got to be able to engage them and understand where they're coming from. And a lot of times in the church, um, and this kind of goes off a of scholar's point, um, you know, we have we know we know the wages of sin is death. We understand that, but the sin is wrong mentality doesn't help somebody in connecting the ecstasy of Sunday morning with the practicality of facing their addiction Sunday night. You know, so you get somebody walking through the door with a serious drug addiction, or it could be any type of addiction. What are we resourcing them with when they leave? Um, and in a lot of ways, you know, it can be a, a difficult for the addict because they live ecstasy to ecstasy to ecstasy, ecstasy and they, they begin to see church as this process of, if I just get that feeling, I'll be good. And there's a very distinct um, truth in drawing into the presence of God through your difficulty, through your struggle, 
Um, and so the church, as I've seen it, it's been pretty encouraging. You know, there's churches out there, obviously they're going to have programs, they're going to have community groups that I think are really effective. And I think the church's challenge heading into, you know, the 21st century is really to start understanding to move beyond our walls. You know, um, we live in a culture and we, we're part of a climate where you go to church to hear something. Okay, I checked the box. I think Steve said that earlier. Check the box mentality. You go, you sit down. Okay, I got what I need and I'm out. Well, we are the church. You know, it's not the building, but if we're the body of Christ and we're, we're partaking in the kingdom, you know, that is, is here, but it's in the future too. It's the present future. Yeah. And so I think when we're interacting as church members in the body of Christ in the community, it's really important that we understand we have a responsibility to take what we do on Sunday into Monday right. and to reach people. Um, but I, you know, it's, it's one of those situations you can get exposed to really good church experiences and really bad ones. Um, but I'm one of those, I'm kind of an optimist. So, yeah. you know, I'll look at the really good experiences and say, man, they're, they're doing it awesome. You know, whether they're having a church staff team come down and engage in the training and get some certifications, uh, maybe sitting with those people that are in your congregation and really listening to them. Yeah. You know, they're people. You know, it's not just the annoying guy who shows up and is asking for a handout. There's a person there, and there's a story behind that. So, well, I think it's important too when you when you think about the church in in general. I mean, I've heard it say from pastors where they say, "Well, Teen Challenge, that's the emergency room." And I asked, I'm, I'm, uh, it was a pastor who had said that to me. And I said, I don't understand what you mean by that. What do you mean it's the emergency room? They said, well, you know, a lot of things get fixed in emergency room and we don't really understand what it is. And to me, that's not an acceptable answer um, because if we are the body of Christ, if we're supposed to be a unit, um, it can't be one organization's responsibility to bear the load of that. That's why there's hundreds of recovery programs out there because the need is, the need is that big. So I think we as a church, as a church body, need to understand, and that doesn't mean that that becomes everyone's mission, right? I mean, everyone's mission is different, um, but at least have an understanding of it so that, you know, we don't look at it with like a 10-foot pole and poke it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And, and the, the reality is there's going to be people who will never step foot in a church. Mm-hmm. So we've got to go engage them. And right. Steve and I talk about this a lot when we're working with families. You know, the, the individuals we're working with are the guys that got kicked out of the church. They got kicked out of that community. Mm-hmm. And I understand there's boundaries. you got to protect things. But at the end of the day... There's people that will never step into the lobby of your local church. So be the church. Or if they didn't get kicked out, you know, uh, youth pastor or pastor or whoever in the church never checked on them when they left. You know, and they didn't they didn't come back. They're like, oh, man, praise God, he didn't come back, right? Um, that's the reality of it. I think, though, that um, while Adam is an optimist, I, I look at it kind of saying, um, I think that there's more that the churches could be doing. Yes, there are churches out there. Um, that are doing the dynamite job and have all sorts of recovery ministry and and all of that. But I think the fact that you know Teen Challenge is or um, it is in existence or is looked at as the emergency room um, is, 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 is yes yeah, is, yeah. Is, is definitely a problem. And the other thing is I think back to uh, Cindy Irwin who when, when she came out here and Cindy Irwin is um, I'm not. 100% on her credentials. A so, family therapist. Uh, she's a family therapist that, that works with us um, and works very specifically in the, in the field of um, sexual addiction. Um, has, has mentioned when she is mentioned or, or, or approached churches about talking about this subject from the pulpit, um, there are pastors or churches that shy away from wanting to discuss it simply because, that, like, look, I ain't opening up that can of worms. 
Um, yeah. And that can be how addiction is as well. And um, I think also if this movement of feel-good messages and, tell, and tickling people's ears and and we continue with a model uh, of seeker-friendly yeah. church experience um, is going to harm the church in this aspect of dealing with sin because that's what we're talking about here is, is we're talking about in addiction. A lot of this is sin and idol worship. And if we stop talking about that um, from from the pulpit or we stop talking about that to the congregates um, and we stop talking about that... Um, then on an individual level, where's somebody going to go? Right? If we can't talk about that stuff in the church or in our church circles, in our home churches, in our life groups, whatever they're called, um, wherever you attend, then where are we sending someone? When we're supposed to be pointing them to Christ, but like we can't, we can't take that topic in here. Yeah, I think the local church is meant to be a family um, that offers something worth the addict or a person with life-controlling issue that offers something worth them giving up their constant search for whatever high it is. Yeah. Um, and sadly, one of the difficult things, I, I, it's hard to speak for like churches, like all churches, because yeah. there's so many different churches, right. but, but um, you know, especially in the, in the, you know, in the circles we run in and the evangelical church, mm-hmm. um, it seems like increasingly what the church is doing right now um, in interacting with human beings is that they're keeping them more, Honestly, they're perpetuating an addictive mentality, and the way they're doing that is by looking to be as relevant as possible to people, to capture people's attention as much as possible, to be as entertaining as possible, to be as flashy as possible. And again, this isn't every church everywhere. But I say that that's like a huge, uh, that does a huge discredit to, to someone struggling with addiction, because all that does is feed the nature that says, I need to be entertained, I need some way out of my present circumstances, I can't face the boredom, the difficulty of life. And what they really need, and I think what the church is meant to be, is that family, that community of people that helps guide them through the fact that life is not that all the time. Yeah. Life is hard work. Life- well, and, and I think the, the huge word that coincides with that is simply discipleship. Um, you know, are we willing to get in the mud with the person and, and help get them out? Um, you know, you can't stand uh, at the edge of a lake with a big broomstick if someone's, you know, 100 yards out. Uh, the broomstick isn't going to reach him. You know, are you willing to go go get in there? And I'm not saying you go like live with them or whatever, but this is all figurative. Like, but are you willing to to kneel down and and walk through it with them? Um, you know, and there's a lot of people like you know you said what 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 we deal with isn't pretty. Um, you know, so it's going to mess the carpet up, you know, or whatever. And are we willing to, who cares what the image is, you know, the point of what we're trying to do is, is disciple people. And I think when I, when I think of Jesus, I think of his ministry and what he did to the church. If you think of it this way, where everyone thought the church was one thing and he's like, actually it's like the other way, you know what I mean? Where we serve, um, it's not about this. It's not about, you know what I mean? He came in and, and everything that everybody thought he turned upside down. And I think that sometimes, um, we can get excited or lost in building projects and all these different things. And I get it. I get all of it, man. I mean, God bless all the ministries that are, that that's happening with, but we gotta always make sure we stay sensitive to the issues that are surrounding the communities that we're in. Um, and I know I've shared even earlier on of even why I came into the teen challenge ministry. Cause you know, I love missions. I think missions is wonderful, but every time missionaries came to my church, the thought that always went through my head was, well, who's going down the street, 
like who's helping those guys because um, that's they, they need it. Um, you know, so we got to make sure the church body collectively stays relevant. And that starts with us because I think it's really easy too that we can point the fingers at entities, but really it starts with us, right? The church is a building uh, the, of, of what we think the church is, but ultimately we are the church. So we as a body need to, to yoke up together, lock arms. And if we want to effectively impact things, we got to be willing to go affect the, the community. So as we as we talk about this stuff, I think Steve used in one of the other ones, a speck of dust. Um, we got to make sure that we're not just looking at a speck in someone's eye when there could be a plank in our own. Like, what are we as a body? What are we as a community willing to go do? And even if you're listening to this and don't have and aren't dealing with someone who's in recovery, uh, but you feel moved by this, like, what are you doing to educate yourself? What are you doing to, to be there for people to help them walk through, walk through addiction? Does that make sense? You know, um, so I guess, you know, as, as we continue this, I mean, what is the role of, of the local church community in an individual's recovery? So we've kind of looked at this from the big scale, right? The collective uh, 10,000 feet up. Now let's kind of get down to the ground level. And, you know, how do you guys see the church in the individual's role in, in dealing with recovery? And I, Adam, I think we'll start with you on this one. Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to... Um, kind of what you said earlier, Michael, with the tone that you set for yourself individually as an autonomous believer, you know, knowing that we carry this this church ideal within us and how we link up and how we plug into the body, uh, the community of Christ every Sunday, every Wednesday, at home, through house church, whatever it is, I think the role is, is so vital. It's important, and it, it really comes down to we don't have to fix the problem because we don't fix the problem. Christ fixed the problem. And understanding that allows us to be a bridge. So, like, I'll give you an example, um, and you guys will attest to this, and some of you that are listening will, will definitely relate to this. Whether you have a loved one in recovery or you're in recovery yourself um, or you've dealt with addiction, you become, like, the subject matter expert in your local church body. And there's been times where, you know, I'm worshiping on a Sunday morning and I get a tap on my shoulder and it's somebody saying, hey, uh, Adam, listen, I hate to bother you, but could you, could you help me with this situation or could you come pray for this person? It's like, sure, yeah, absolutely. I love doing that. I don't want to take away from that. But at the end of the day, there's nothing I'm going to say or do that's going to fix that situation. But I certainly can get to know the community I'm a part of and say, hey, you know what? Uh, have you ever been to treatment before? Let me talk to you about my buddy so-and-so who's a therapist, or, um, you know, if, if, I'm, if I've got law enforcement in the congregation that I know, hey, have you ever worked with this individual before? Yeah, they, I can give you a really good recommendation, or they have an amazing, you know, success rate. I think part of it comes down to being a community and being a resource for those people that walk in the door, because we love being resources for things that fit our norm. We want to go do clean water initiatives. Wonderful. Absolutely amazing. I love that stuff. And, you know, we give to that, my wife and I. I go, but as soon as somebody walks in tweaking on methamphetamine and it's like, how, we don't think, how can we get them a resource? We think, oh my goodness, is that what I'm seeing? Or we got to get this out. Of, we got to get it out of here. You know, we can't have that in here. It's a distraction. So I think in terms of the church's role and responsibility, it's so important. And it comes down to, you know, like you said, individually understanding that we have to educate ourselves. We have to train ourselves. We have to equip ourselves, both biblically and professionally to be able to meet those needs that we see in our church bodies and to not be afraid to um, be a truth bearer. You know, people that are struggling addiction, they need community. They do. But they also need people to give them truth with a Christ-like focus. You know, it's going to look at the heart of the person um, and see them as a human being 
made in God's image that needs help. And so that would just be my two cents on, on that. Yeah, I think it's just being a resource. Um, so break this down. We broke this down to the, to the church level, but let's break it down to the individual level. Let's ask ourselves, what's our role? Um, so, so at the church I attend, um, what's my role in being uh, of helping the church offer recovery services? Um, the church that I attend has a liaison to from 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 the church to the church body. Um, so there's a person in our church who knows basically what everyone does. Like I know Tommy's a, a plumber, and I know uh, you know Jake is a mechanic. So if there's something wrong with the church van, we know to call Jake. Um, I made myself known to to the to the pastor of our church. Like hey, if there's any any of these areas here, um, I've helped people from my church get into Teen Challenge. Uh, and just I've also had sit downs and um, with guys and just talking with them and sharing my testimony and just letting people know like hey I'm here like uh, what can I do to help and you know here's my number give me a call I'll follow up with you do whatever we need to do um, and I and I obviously I give them some 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 boundaries and some uh, to make sure to gauge what their willingness is because mm-hmm. um, I'm not gonna waste a ton of my time on it if they're not serious about it. But if they're serious, I know everybody sitting around this table right now is going to go to bat for someone to pull them up out of this ditch um, of addiction if needed. Well, that's, that's really good. I, I like that. And I think it's uh, you saying, uh, Adam, what you said about being like the expert in your church. I remember when I was in banking, I'd be praying at the altar and I'd get taps on my shoulders and they'd go, hey, can I talk to you about a, a house loan? I'm like, Are, seriously? Like, we're you talking about a mortgage right now? Yeah, like, come on, man. So uh, it's not a balloon, it's an arm. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but uh, so in so it, to, to keep this going, and Steve, I think you've kind of segued into this to the next uh, area that we want to talk about in this is, is how can we begin creating healthy and welcoming church environments for those who struggle with addiction? You know, what does that even look like? And... Um, yeah, I guess we'll throw it to, to Adam again to start, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think all of this builds on everything. So it's it's not this one singular approach we use, but as we're, we're kind of sharing our thoughts and our hearts on the podcast, we're realizing, hey, yeah, this is very necessary. So I think, you know, the pastoral leadership, and I'm, I'm included in that, we're all included in that, we've got to listen. We really have to listen, you know, because we live in a climate where, uh, I think Skylar touched on it earlier, you're trying to hammer down truths, at least um, in the church culture, in sound bites and cool quotes and captions. And like, uh, oh, if we just have this media outlet, man, it's really going to get these people's attention. And we know through scientific studies that the human attention span is rapidly decreasing. You can't do that with a situation like this. And so... It really comes down to, I think, having a, a body of believers that is going to listen and listen first, formulate your, your, I guess, your strategy or your game plan, maybe even have that worked out ahead of time, like what Steve was saying, know where you can go, but really just listen to people. You've got to listen to where they're at because, you know, people that are struggling with addiction, it doesn't just start. It doesn't start instantaneously. That thing's been developing. It's been growing. There's, they've... Some folks have been really hurt in their lives, and some people have gone to that as an escape. Some people have gone to it as literally if they get off of whatever they're on, they're going to get sick. You know, so um, that's just my – there's a lot of different things, and we'll probably each have different perspectives, but I think just a listening heart, which is very counter to what we experience now in churches, I think, not the fall of the church, but it's just our culture – 
um, it, it's not something you can capture quickly. It's not lightning in a bottle. You have to be able to sit down and walk and disciple and just get in the mud with, with people. I think part of what it means to create a healthy community um, that can serve people who are struggling with addiction or any life-controlling issue at all, um, it begins with an attitude of um, non-judgment and love. And what I mean by that is not it doesn't mean you um, you legitimize what's going on or you act like it's not a big deal. It is. Um, but what you do is instead of treating their sin like it's worse than yours or treating their sin like it's um, you know, more grievous, you, you come to a place where you can actually, in some way, in some sense, or literally put your arm around the person and say, me too. Uh, this is not, you're not special. You know, we're, um, we're meant to walk through this towards healing together. I heard someone say, Christianity is not a religion, not relationship. No, <laughs> Christianity, as he said, Christianity is not a religion. It's a healing project for your soul. And I think if we create environments where people can come in and they can, uh, they can utilize practices, and they can have conversations, um, and they can do things with other people that, that bring them healing progressively. Um, I, think that's, I think that's necessary. And it helps them to see that, you know, we're not telling them, hey, you need to go find a program to work your recovery. If they come into a church environment where everyone there sees their struggle against sin, whatever their sin may be, it may not be drugs or alcohol, obviously. It could be all kinds of things. Um, but if everyone there is seeing their struggle against sin as its own recovery process, if the way that the church itself begins to see its struggle against sin as they need healing for their own soul, they need to progressively recover themselves, it won't be an issue for someone who comes in and knows they need healing from drugs, alcohol, whatever it may be, to, to walk into that process along with that community you know, and find healing. Honestly, we live in the age of um, information, and I think that leaves us without an excuse. Uh, one day we stand before the Lord and we have to give an account and simply say, I don't know. Um, I don't think it's going to cut it, especially given the, the, the age, the information age that we live in. So find resources, educate yourself. Um, you know, if you don't know, if somebody brings an issue or bring, hey, I, I don't know, but let me find out and let me get back to you. Um, I think offering a support group is a great way to start. Uh, what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm ultimately getting at there is like you don't have to be an expert um, in addiction to to start uh, a group. You know, there's pl- you don't have to write your own curriculum hmm. from a blank sheet of paper. Say, where am I going to begin? There's 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 tons of great curriculum out there, great information out there. Uh, like celebrate recovery, uh, living free are some great places to start. Even even AA. You know, my 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 dad got. Uh, um, off of alcohol because of the AA program. So, and I have a very close friend who goes every week, and he and I disagree on some points, but we come to the understanding of like that's what keeps you sober. You power to it, man. Keep doing it. Do what you got to do to keep yeah. um, keep yourself sober. So that's that's my two point, my two cents. <laughs> that's really good stuff. And I mean, there's you know some. Uh, I think all the heart of everything that everybody said is all coming from the same place. But there's a lot of roads to this, and I, I think that's kind of the consensus. And we've talked about that. There's a lot of roads to recovery, um, you know. But incorporating your faith, incorporating Jesus Christ into it, is going to be hands down the most effective road that that you can travel because it's 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 life giving, and everything that addiction is takes. That's all that it does. And and Skylar, I love how you how you framed if the whole body of the church is recognizing that we're all in recovery in one way, shape, or form, um, you're going to feel comfortable going, man, okay. you know. And, and it's this acceptance of knowing we're all trying to be better. 
we're all trying to grow in these things. Um, that's a really comfortable family to be a part of, you know? So, um, so as we continue to talk about this family, I mean, you know, most of us here at this table are, are ministers as well. So I mean, what is the role of a pastor or a minister as someone who interacts with the congregation or a congregate who might be dealing with addiction? I mean, you know, we talked about all these different types of churches, man, there's churches now that are all, that are designed towards those dealing with addiction and that's it. And that's great. But we also don't want to like separate these things because at the end of the day, we're still, you know, one church body. So, you know, what is the role of a pastor? And Adam, I guess, you know, I'll start with you as a, as a licensed minister. Um, you know, what's your perspective on that? Um, I think, you know, it really comes down to knowing people and not knowing them in the classic sense of, oh, yeah, okay, we met once, but knowing in the sense of uh, intimacy and relationship. So for me, you know, the Lord's really dealt with me uh, working here and showing me that, yeah, I go to a church a couple times a week, and my wife and I help lead a group, and we do all that wonderful stuff. I love it. It's beautiful. But the the guys we work with here, that's my church body, right? So um, that's when I, when I think about the church, I think in terms of the young men we're working with. So that comes with two things. A is like a heavy conviction of like, man, this is serious stuff. Take this seriously. And number two is the Lord is constantly developing tenderness in my heart for him. When I think I'm getting a little hardened, I've heard every story and I'm like, okay, you know, I'm, and I get frustrated. You walk home and you're ready to pull your hair out. And I'm talking to Rachel, my wife, and I'm like, I, I don't get what it's going to take for this to turn the corner. So I think from a pastoral standpoint, your congregation has to encounter Christ not simply in teaching, but in your relationship, right? So I think of like, I've been studying Paul lately, and it's really awesome when you study the character of Paul because he really tries to demonstrate to those churches that he's writing to, like, look, I'm trying to express Christ in me to you. And I think if we understand that that's a mandate first and foremost before anything, we all hold the same ground at the cross, right? We're all there. Um, I think it becomes very clear that the pastoral role is building relationship. And I'm not saying you're this perfect person walking into a situation, you know how to handle it. Because usually, at least, you know, from a personal standpoint, I walk into situations at work, at church, and it's like, oh boy, okay, Lord, let's, I need like five minutes to just uh, pray this thing through. And um, it doesn't mean you have all the answers. It means you know your source, you know what you're plugged into. I think of John 15, you know exactly what you remain in and what you abide in, and that becomes an outflow of fruit. So uh, it's, it's just really about relationship with your congregation um, and we recently went through a teaching here where we talked about, um, you know, when, when Christ, I think he's talking to Peter and he says, do you love me? And he's looking at him, of course I love you. You know, this is what Steve said. Steve said it on an earlier podcast, the Steve standard version. Well, this is the Adam standard version, you know, and, and Peter says, of course I love you, you know, and he goes, well, then feed my sheep, tend to the issues, tend to the needs, tend to the person. And out of that, uh, our prayer is that they encounter Christ in a miraculous way. So, yeah, I think be approachable, be transparent. Um, as as a pastor, as a as a as a minister of the gospel, like I mean, you have to air all your dirty laundry. But I, I, you know, anytime I'm speaking in a church or giving a message, whether it's um, chapel here on campus or um, I'm preaching a Sunday service, I always like to throw in that personal testimony um, and just 
tell the events of my life so people like don't see me. I think might say something here. I might throw a little advisory out there that um, might be a little bit unpopular, but I think this can be one of the problems with mega churches yeah. is that how much access do you have to to the pastor to the minister um, or even and I I was raised Catholic and I'm not trying to slam on on any sure. anybody's um, church that they attend. But that can be the problem with with the priest. They live this holy, um, sanctioned life where, like, I can't, I couldn't, can't relate because I'm not, I'm not a priest, you yeah. know. And like, how can this guy relate to me if he doesn't have this stuff, you know? If I don't know this stuff about him, I'm not going to walk up to somebody that, you know, I, I, I know that I can talk to Michael about mortgages. And after this, we have to, I have to ask you a question about escrow. So <laughs> throwing that, throwing that out there, just, just, so, just so you know, right, right, you guys, yeah, like how I did that, right? But, uh, um, you know, how can I go? Um, I don't know. How can I approach somebody that I don't know anything about and bare my soul and say, hey, man, I'm dealing with this. My life is a wreck because of because of this. And like, you're my pastor. I've been going to your church for three years and I'm really sorry to bother you at Walmart. But this is the only time we've ever, you know, encountered each other. That ain't going to work. Yeah. And I, I I was just thinking of something while you were talking, Steve, and it reminds me of of, you know, the ministry here is there has to be a clear differentiation between when the church, between replicating and multiplying. So like you can walk in, I can walk into work and I can replicate who I am and a lot of the young men I work with just by default, but I don't want to do that. I want to multiply what's going on in their lives because they're all distinct individuals. So, um, you know, it becomes a situation where we can be part of a culture too that, well, let's, let's replicate. It worked here it was successful here. The business model was was flowing right here, so we're going to replicate that in a different place. And I'm not saying I'm against that, but I think there's a difference between replication and multiplication. When we multiply, that person that is impacted re- retains that autonomy, and they're able to take that experience and like share that with other people that can definitely relate. Because, Steve, you encounter groups of people that you can totally relate to that I won't. Yeah. You know, because you've walked the addiction path, I've walked in law enforcement, and and it's just different, but it's not bad. We just contrast and, um, you know, thinking through like the total picture of God the Father, right? Uh, we're all little puzzle pieces of that. So those people that we intersect, I think it's a it's a mandate for us individually to rep, not replicate. I'm going against that, but to multiply what we see, you know, and that's the essence of discipleship is not creating a cookie cutter. This worked for me, so I know it's going to work for you. But hey, here's the truth. Let it saturate your life and everything you do. And then God will use that to multiply his truth in another person, another person, another person. So I want to say, going back, um, you know, addicts are really good at reading people. Um, and you're, if you're not genuine, they're going to sniff that out in a heartbeat. Um, a lot of times because um, wrapped up in our addictions, we're, we learned how to read people so we can gauge what can we get out of this person, um, how far am I going to be able to go with that. So um, pretty quick to tell if someone's not genuine. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I think it's really important for us to begin to see the role of the pastor uh, in the local church uh, probably differently than most churches see it presently. And what I mean what I mean by that is the way that it's seen in many places is that the pastor is the guy who primarily, his primary job is preaching. His primary job is to stand behind the pulpit or on stage and be the face of the church. And um, this might be sounding a little harsh, but 
I think the pulpit is in many ways kind of the golden calf of the church right now, right? Um, it, it is this thing. It is this. Come it, on now. It is this. Um, it's this thing that's over glorified. Okay. Uh, the pa- the word pastor itself means that means one who tends to the flock. The work of the pastor is not to give sermon after sermon after sermon and preach people's faces off, right? The, the role of the pastor is someone who is deeply involved in the lives of the congregation, and ideally all of them. Um, and if he can't be in all of them, he's, he's networking with other people within the church so they can be. Um, and so it's really, to me, it's a sign that we have the cart before the horse if the pastor is someone who um, has all kinds of things to say from the pulpit on Sunday morning but has nothing to say to the family that's crumbling under alcoholism. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And there's a book uh, called Extreme Calling that um, uh, I went through, and, and the the guy that wrote it, he's a I guess he's like a seminary professor as well. And in like the first or second chapter of the book, he talked about as he's teaching this class, um, this this student raised her hand and said, "Well, you know, uh, Pastor, there's always that one person in the church that always has this question, and blah 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 blah, and they're just a distraction from what we're supposed to be doing." which is preaching. And the, the guy told him, well, you are wrong because that distraction is your job. He's part, he or she is part of your congregation. You need to go be with them. And I think it's important to know, like, you know, there's a lot of wonderful pastors out there and they can't, they can't get burned out by thinking that they can do everything because that's not what we're designed to do. But understanding the, the, the parish, if you will, that you are uh, connected with is, is vitally important that that person does care. Um, you know, and, and there's some times where you just shake your head. I mean, there's times I pray and I go, Lord, I don't even know what to pray in this situation, but having a willingness and a humility to say, I don't even have the answer for this right now, but I'm going to try to figure this out and I'm going to intercede with you. And I'm going to, you know, put this before the Lord and I'm going to look for resources. And if it's not me, let me do my part. You know, there's a lot of people I know, Skylar, as you took a lot of phone calls over the last couple of years, um, for families in really in crisis mode, uh, the one thing that I've just always loved you loved hearing you say when if that student just isn't a fit for the program or maybe doesn't need a program, um, you're always quick to say, but I have some resources for you. So it's not like, well, okay, you're dead to me. Um, it's no, I still care enough about you to put this in your hands because this is important. And I want to make sure that even if I can't help you, I'm going to give you the tools that you can go hopefully then help yourself. And I think that that's really important for the church collectively. So, I mean, we've went through some serious stuff um, here today, and I really appreciate everybody's perspective on this. So um, to kind of wrap this up, uh, two questions here. So what encouragement would you give to local church bodies and pastors in the relationship to those uh, who are addicted? And how can they begin pursuing a more biblical, loving, and authentic ministry to these individuals? So Adam, I think uh, the microphone's in front of you. We'll start with you, and we'll kind of go around the horn. Um, I would just say uh, love in spite of. That doesn't mean you don't have boundaries, but it definitely means that um, you have an express purpose to demonstrate the love of Christ. That's going to take on various you know, outflows as you are, are working with um, the addicted populace, but at the same time, you, nobody's going to listen to you unless you get in the ditch with them. You know, I think of uh, the yoke, you know, and uh, there's a process of walking this thing out with people, um, not in front of them to where you're saying, come here, and not, not at the top of the ditch on the berm where you say, hey, that's a really bad idea, you know, <laughs> but crawling down in there um, and preparing yourself spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and in community to say, hey, they're struggling, let's help them out. 
and whatever that help looks like, you know, um, but yeah. Yeah. I'd say, um, if you have, if you're a pastor at a church, um, or if your church, if you're not, but you're interested in helping out, um, and there is a, a recovery group attended, you know, go there and, and sit in on, um, and, and talk with the people. And if not put together an advisory team, um, and look at the resources in the, in the church budget and start one, um, allocate some resources, um, put the word out there, find out who's in the congregation that might be interested or might know somebody who knows somebody. Um, and as always, give us a call. I would completely agree um, with both Steve and Adam on that. And I would say the the only thing I would add is pour so much more of your time, energy, um, money as a church into uh, building relationships within the congregation. Uh, whatever you, you do for programming and preaching, that's fine. But make sure that the primary work that's being done is actually being a church family, you know. Yeah, that's good. Well, guys, thank you for all the perspectives that uh, that we had here. Um, and um, as always, for anyone who uh, needs help, please feel free to reach out. Call your local uh, support community. You can call Teen Challenge or any of the other organizations that have partnered with us uh, through this time. We're always here to answer questions. Remember, there always is hope. Hope is not lost. Um, God loves you. And as we've talked many times, he's not angry. He just wants you to come home. And uh, we will see you next time. The Support Recovery Podcast is sponsored by Ozarks Teen Challenge, a 15-month residential program located in Branson, West Missouri. If you're a parent, relative, or friend of a young man who is struggling with addiction or other life-controlling issues, please call Ozarks Teen Challenge at 417-272-3784 for more information or visit them at www.ozarksteenchallenge.com.